Welcome to the Leadership Window Podcast with Patrick Jinks. Each week, through a social sector lens, Patrick interviews leaders and experts and puts us in touch with trends and tips for leading effectively. Patrick is an LSI certified leadership coach, a member of the Forbes Coaches Council, a best-selling author, award-winning photographer, and professional speaker. And now, here's Patrick. Uh, you may not recognize the voice. I'm kind of froggy-throated today. Woke up with some, eh, just, you know, congestion and stuff. And you get that sore throat. It allows me to like get really low. Put my bass voice on. It's great for radio. I could give you the sort of very white leadership. Ah, oh, yeah. Influence. Oh, I shouldn't be doing that. I I don't edit these podcasts, and I think after today, I should probably start. Welcome, folks, to episode 44 of The Leadership Window. I am Patrick Jinks, certified leadership and strategy coach and president of The Jinx Perspective. Happy June. This is going to be a quick episode. I've got two coaching questions for you, two big coaching questions for you, for your organizations, and... um, Probably some sub questions underneath those as we go, playing this a little bit by ear. But uh, I'm also going to be using a, a, a few sports analogies. So my apologies for anybody that doesn't really care too much for sports analogies. I will make you this promise. You will get these. You don't even have to be an expert in the sport. You don't have to even be a fan of the sport. I'll make sure you understand them because they're really good analogies to things we deal with in leadership every day for our organizations and our team. So we'll get to get those in just a moment. But before we do, let's hear from Mike Wallace at our sponsor, Leadership Systems, about some ongoing, amazing, exclusive pricing opportunities that Leadership Systems Incorporated has for listeners of this program to uh, their training programs on coaching. Let's hear from Mike. Hey, this is Michael Wallace with Leadership Systems Incorporated. And on behalf of LSI, I want to say thanks for supporting our friend Patrick Jinks and the Leadership Window Podcast. We've been partnering with Patrick for many years, and we are so proud to have him represent us as an LSI certified executive coach. As a mutual friend, we'd like to offer you exclusive rates on some of the same training that Patrick has received over the years, as well as some new experiences that we've been developing. Head over to leadershipsystems.com slash jinx to see the upcoming training events on our calendar and register today to keep learning and growing. Again, that's leadershipsystems.com slash jinx, J-I-N-K-S, for exclusive pricing on LSI's virtual and in-person training events. Thanks a lot. We appreciate um, Michael and, and Dr. Jim Smith and Taylor and the gang at LSI. And if you listen to this and go, why why would a nonprofit leader which are mostly the leaders of this show be interested in coaching training. Well, it's, it's not to become a professional coach as a business necessarily, although great training for that too. Uh, but it's just great to add a coaching tool to your management kit. And, uh, so I want to encourage you to check those out. We appreciate them. Okay. I said, I had two big coaching questions for you today. And, um, let me start with this one. How are you managing your team talent? for winning. Let me say it again. How are you managing your talent, your whole system of talent, your team for winning or what many would call a winning 
culture. Now, I I mentioned we're going to use some sports analogies. I understand that winning means something different to people. We're not talking about winning a championship with a trophy at the end of the year. We're talking about winning as in succeeding in delivering on our missions. Whether you're in business or nonprofit or whatever you are, there is winning and there is losing and we want to be winning. So here, here is the analogy. Um, You may already know, I've talked about it before and I talk about it on my YouTube channel sometimes that I'm a lifelong St. Louis Cardinal fan. And I won't go into the story and how I became a St. Louis Cardinal fan because I'm not from St. Louis. Uh, been there once, never been to a game. Uh, there's a story behind that too. I'm actually going in August. I had uh, a trip planned last year and we had this uh, global pandemic hit the, hit us. So I'm going in August, but um, I am a St. Louis Cardinal fan and Like any other fan of a team, uh, it's easy to be highly critical of all the decisions that get made. (laughs) I don't care if it's the Dallas Cowboys or the LA Lakers or your favorite soccer team or whoever it is, when they're not doing well, you want to point to somebody. You want to say that manager, man, I can't believe they're paying this guy all this money, you know, oh, this third baseman is so terrible. Why do they keep putting him out there over and over and over? He can't hit. I can't believe they keep him out there. What a terrible decision. Or man, this pitcher is doing a horrible job. I can't believe the manager's not going out and pulling him and replacing him with a pitcher. Easy to sit back and criticize the management for all that's going on. We're experiencing that a little bit right now with the Cardinals because they're in third place they slipped down from first place down to third place, and they're really. I'm I'm watching these games. They've lost seven of their last eight. They're really looking bad. Lots of defensive errors. The pitchers have more walks than any team. I mean, they're walking batters, giving you free bases. They're hitting batters inadvertently, but they're hitting them. You get a free base for that. Uh, just the, the hitting isn't there for the Cardinals. The offense isn't there. It's just, it's rough. So if you follow the Cardinals on Twitter, you see that the, again, the fans are the worst critics and boy, they're just really beating them up. But again, it's easy to sit back and do that. Here's a question for you. The, the big question again is how are you managing your team talent for winning? How are you doing that now? You may not hear all the criticism, but oftentimes people are criticizing you and you may not even realize it. And I'll give you an example. There are times when even some of your current staff are wondering, they're talking among themselves in some cases and wondering, why does our CEO not do something about this person, this coworker, this, you know, how, how, what, what is it that they see in this vice president. I mean, they're just horrible. When are they going to deal with it? So it's rough when the criticism is coming from inside your organization. I've seen boards do it. I've seen boards go, why, why are you keeping this person on the staff? I mean, we know it's your call, but man, we're just not seeing it. So when the criticism starts happening inside the organization, that gets tough here. Here's the way I'd like for you to think about looking at this for a little bit. When we ask the question, how do you manage your team for talent? I'm going to take baseball, for example, baseball management, the what they call the front office, the general managers and the owners, not the people in the dugout necessarily. When they look at the team, they've got a few options on how they build a winning team. So, for example, one option is 
spend big money on a couple of superstars, maybe even just one superstar. Let's spend big money. We'll put a big strategic bet on this, you know, five-time gold glove winning whatever, or this home run slugging superstar. We will spend big money to lure them away from the team that they currently play on. And oftentimes that pays off. Teams will spend big money on a superstar and the superstar just lights them up. They do, they get everybody else motivated. They, they certainly increase the numbers for the team because they're hitting well or they're pitching well or whatever it is you're asking them to do. So spending big money for top talent is one option. Now, I threw that out there as the first option because I know the immediate response from our nonprofit listeners. They're like, yeah, right. That's nice. That's, that's pretty to say. Uh, but we're nonprofit and we don't have big money. Well, some don't, some do actually, and some who don't spend like they do and some who spend like they do, do it wisely and some don't. (laughs) So it's really all over the place. I learned a long time ago, this is not a cookie cutter. You can't just say, well, the nonprofits don't have money. It, first of all, it's not true. Nonprofits do have money. It's a matter of what you spend it on. Go to the IRS website and look at the revenue. I mean, there's, you know, there's trillions of dollars in nonprofit revenue. There's billions of dollars, hundreds of billions of dollars left over at the end of the year on financial statements across the country for the nonprofit sector. There is money there. It's a matter of our appetite for where we want to spend it. And I'm not going to go into the whole overhead. Do we spend money on overhead or programs? That's another program maybe or for our YouTube channel or something. I'm just talking about making a strategic decision to invest in your capacity to have the best that you can have. So yes, investing big dollars in talent. Some organizations, for example, you find this a lot with development positions. And for our for our non nonprofit listeners out there, that's that's um, that's code for fundraisers, right? The revenue generators, the people that either write the grants or they manage the donation system, they do the solicitation of donors. They try to bring in the money to simplify it for you. Those that's the development staff, and a, where you, where you see really strong development staff, a lot of universities pay big money for development staff that can go out and and hustle up endowment funds for the, for the, uh, um, university. You'll see it a lot in hospitals. Hospitals pay a lot of money for strong development staff and that's how they do so well. Even nonprofit organizations like that, like nonprofit hospitals spend a lot of money oftentimes on development people or marketing or whatever it is. Nonprofits though, we're, we're not big on making those kind of strategic investments. Uh, and again, we are still tripped up by the overhead thing um, more so than we should be. I think, I think we view that um, uh, what's the word not wrong. Just uh, we've got one way we view overhead and that is we can't spend it. We can't spend money on ourselves. And the reality is you have to, if you're going to win, you have to spend money on yourselves. So, some organizations do that. They'll, they'll, they'll put a big bet on a development staff. Now, if you think about this, if I'm going to spend, you know, a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars on a development staff, uh, you know, are they going to bring in the money? I mean, that is the strategic bet, right? And so I see organizations get creative and creative incentive plans where, yeah, you can make good money here if you bring in the money. 
And if I pay big money on a development staff that can bring their salary in plus five, you know, times five, well, that's a strategic bet. I'll take every day of the week and twice on Sunday. So that's an option, spending big money on big talent. Here's another option. Spend less money for promising talent. The young talent, the talent maybe no one else quite is looking at. Um, Now, this requires scouting. This requires understanding your community and where the people are. And sometimes that promising talent is already inside your organization at a lower level. And they have potential for next level leadership. But maybe you're not seeing it. Maybe you just aren't paying attention. You're not looking for it. Whether you're scouting inside or outside your organization, you got to scout for talent. And so, and by the way, for the St. Louis Cardinals, what they call the Cardinal way and why they are a perennial successful team, almost always in the playoffs. They have 11 world championships, second only to the Yankees. Uh, Why? Because they spend, uh, they spend money on promising talent and they develop their talent, which leads us to the next option, develop a farm system. Now, for those of you that don't understand what that means in baseball, it has nothing to do with agriculture. A farm system is where you grow talent. That's why they call it a farm. So it's your minor league system. So all these little towns and cities across the country that have minor league baseball teams. Here in Columbia, we have the Columbia Fireflies in South Carolina. Well, they are not just the Columbia Fireflies. They happen to be um, run and affiliated through the New York Mets system. They are a farm club for the New York Mets. Um, in Greenville, South Carolina, just up the road from me, they have the Greenville Drive. That's a Boston Red Sox farm club. That's where they're developing their talent. And there's different levels. There's single A, double A, and triple A minor league baseball. And it's great because the cities like Columbia that don't have a major league baseball team, we do have a minor league baseball team that have professional players on it. And it's great to go. And it's the Columbia Fireflies. It's our community team. It's not the New York Mets. And yet we know that it is a development system. So what is your farm system in your organization? Do you have maybe a national organization that has somewhat of a farm system for you or an association that you're a member of that helps you with farming talent, growing talent? What seeds are you planting inside your organization with current talent who need to, they need some development in order to get to next level talent. And again, this is the St. Louis Cardinals are famous for this, for bringing up um, and developing no name players who weren't first pick in the draft, who weren't the superstar players, but because they build a team out of these individuals, they are able to find talent that other people might not have, have found. They're not the only team that does it, but they're very well known for it. Here's another option draft creatively and understand trade-offs. Now trade-offs literally trading in major league baseball or some of these other major team sports means I'm going to trade you this player for that player, like trading cards, but except for real people and a lot of uh, people trade creatively and sometimes they trade draft picks. So when, when the draft happens and these teams are picking their players from out of the college system or wherever, Oftentimes a team like the Cardinals may look at the Yankees and say, I'll tell you what, you have the third round pick and we're seventh. 
I'll switch places with you, or if you'll switch places with me and let us pick third, we'll give you our three next picks. And people look at that and go, wow, you're going to give them three players for one? Yeah, sometimes we might do that because we might need an outfield. And that's just where we're going to put our money. That's where we're weak. So how are you drafting creatively in your organization? And your trade-offs, by the way, sometimes mean, can I do more with three really talented people than I can with the five people I have now? Uh, Can we structure it differently where we are able to pay for the talent And could we get more out of that? So it's not always about spending more. It's about spending differently. But again, the question is how, what is your talent strategy inside your organization? I ask this question because I coach leaders who who often will talk about challenges they have on their staff, underperformers, namely. Um, and what do we do? You know, we can't fire them. We can't do this. You know, they've been there forever or it's just this or that, or they're not bad. They're just not quite what we need. Well, how are you managing for talent on your team? And what would the critics say about how you're managing for talent on your team? And again, when we say winning, it's, it's like the Simon Sinek book, the infinite game. It's about staying in the game and staying relevant and succeeding on your mission and driving that mission. And if it takes capacity to do that, then we do it. We invest in it. Um, but this is, this is about uh, uh, talent and culture. And by the way, sometimes teams have what they call a rebuilding year and they know that, you know, that maybe they've, they've lost some players in, in free agency or injury or retirement And they know that it's going to take them a few years to build back up to championship stature. And so they'll have rebuilding years. Well, they'll work on their farm team. They'll work on their minor league system. Um, They'll work on giving young players a chance here and there. And then there are other years where it's, it's all in. We're putting everything on the table. We're going all in for a championship this year. We're going to spend the big money. It's kind of like we did in the Olympics back in the day when we sent the dream team basketball team to the Olympics. And you had all the greatest of the greats, right? You had, you know, Michael Jordan and Magic Johnson and Larry Bird and all these great players. And uh, it was a championship year. Now, here's, here's another analogy for you. I don't know how many of you know this, but the dream team that blew everybody away in the Olympics they didn't start off looking all that great because one problem with a dream team is that everybody on that team is a superstar and they expect to be the superstar and they've never worked with each other necessarily before. And it was a great example of how individual talent in aggregation is not the same thing as synergy. You know, five individual superstars on team is just five individual superstars, but five individual superstars working as a team is 25. It's amazing that way. So you have to think about that when you're developing your talent and your culture, you bring someone in that just doesn't fit the culture or the people resent or that they resent other people or they, you know, low emotional intelligence or attitude issues or whatever it might be. They might be the most talented individual you could find but it has to work and to gel with the team. There's a term that Simon Sinek uses in his book, The Infinite Game, that I really loved when I read it, that he calls existential flex. And that is when you make a change before the change is needed. You you build for the future. 
you innovate for the future. Uh, you invest for the future and you make an existential flex, meaning I'm not going to wait until I've got to come up with something else because what I've done now is run its course. You do it in advance. So that's question one. How are you managing your team talent for success or winning or whatever term you want to use for that? Here is my second question. And again, more sports analogies coming. Can you recognize your limits as an individual and even as an organization? But primarily we're talking as an individual here. Are you blind spotted? Or are you pushing yourself beyond your limits? And this is a fine line because as a leadership coach, I can tell you, you want to push the limits. You want to stretch them. You want to grow the limits. You want to expand your boundaries. But if you do it too fast, too hard, too much, wrong speed, it, it can all implode very, very quickly. Um, and so do you recognize your limits? Here's what why this came across my mind this week. I happen to also be a tennis fan, particularly I, I love Roger Federer. I uh, love watching him, want him to win, want him to keep winning. He's getting near the end of his, he's near the end of his career. And he uh, was playing in the French Open this week and he was winning. I think he won two or three matches and was ready to go to the next round. And he withdrew from the French Open. This is the, this is the tournament in Paris that's on the red clay and Federer is, you know, trying to stay in the game, trying to stay relevant, trying to win, trying to beat these other big players still. But he's also coming off of knee surgery on both of his knees not long ago. And he withdrew from the French Open after his last win in the tournament. And his term that he used to explain why he withdrew is he said, I'm listening to my body. I'm listening to my body. So he's recognizing his limits. If I push this much harder into the next round and the quarterfinals and the semis and really go all out and try to win this tournament, which is what I would always do if I'm going to play in it, I'm at risk of, of doing permanent damage to the knees. And I don't want to do that because I, I got more game left in me. So I'm going to reserve the strength and the recovery and the rehab. And I'm, I'm listening, thinking I might be pushing it too hard right now. Can you recognize those limits within yourself? I, um, a few episodes ago, I talked about how I uh, have recently started riding motorcycle. And I'm a part of a riding group, not a motorcycle club, but just an informal riding group that gets together on the weekends and goes on some nice back road rides. One of the rides we took not long ago was the Rattler. And this is NC, this is North Carolina 209. And it's 290 curbs in a 24-mile stretch. And it's one of these turny, twisty, technical roads. It'll test you. Uh, people do it in their cars or sports cars. You see Porsches and Audis and, you know, these different sports cars that'll go out and, and run roads like the Rattler or the Dragon's Tail or the Devil's Whip. Or There's lots of these routes. Well, the first one of these technical routes that I rode on my motorcycle was a few weeks ago, and it was the Rattler. And there were, I think, 15 bikes in our group and all different kinds. The big Harley touring bikes like mine. You had some Sportster bikes, you know, Kawasaki Ninja types. You had some trike bikes, you know, the three-wheelers. There were all different kinds there. And our group leader, to his credit, when we were meeting at the bottom of the hill and about to go up, he said, look, 
we're there are 15 of us um we are at different skill levels and experience levels uh he happens to be of course a very experienced and competent and and um uh expert rider i, I would say and so he, he he's going to run the rattler differently than i'm going to run it i've been riding for three years and i've never ridden this kind of technical ride and here's what he said at the beginning of the ride he said we're going to go off in three groups and the first group that goes is the group that kind of wants to ride it at full speed and then um you know it'll, it'll go from there if you if you're not comfortable go ahead and hang back we'll be waiting for you at the end of the route at the restaurant it's right there on the side of the road we're not you're not gonna lose us go at your speed and here's the phrase he uses ride your ride don't try to keep up with the experienced riders who can take these curbs faster because they have total mastery of navigating their motorcycles. They understand counter steering and leaning and traction and seeing through the curve. And I mean, they've done it over and over and over and they feel very comfortable doing it. Don't think you have to try to keep up with that. If you do that, you will go down. <laughs> Your bike will go down and you may go down and you may go down permanently. So ride your ride. So what I did is I got in the first group, but at the very back of the first group, because my, what I said was, I do want to ride my ride, but I want to test it and see what does, what do I have? And so if it's a little bit more difficult for me to keep up with the leaders, I'll be in the back of that first group. I can just, I can just relax and back up. Nobody would be behind me. I won't be in anybody's way, but I'm going to go at my pace. Did I keep up with the leader? Nope. <laughs> No, I, for a while I saw him, uh, five bikes ahead. And then before long, I didn't see him anymore. He and one or two or three bikes uh, ahead of me, they just, they, they lost me and I was okay with that. And I needed to be okay with that ride your ride. You know, I'll, get, I'll go back to baseball for a minute. Uh, there are three things that a pitcher can do to be amazing. And usually most pitchers do one of these three. The, the extraordinary ones will can do two or three of them. There's three ways to pitch effectively. One is location. So I'm not pitching very fast and the ball's not like curving and doing all kinds of crazy things, but I can pick my spots. I can pitch just over the left side edge of the plate or just on the inside edge of the plate. I can pitch high, I can pitch low. I can target you and instead of throwing straight over the plate, boy, I can locate my pitches. The second is movement. And these are pitchers that can make the ball move in the air from their hand to the plate. So it starts off looking high and then it just drops before it gets to the plate, just drops straight down. Or it's going left to right, or it's just curving in any number of ways and it tricks the batter and they'll swing at something that looks like it's coming right over the plate, but it's not, it's way, it's way off the plate. If you ever watch a batter swing at a ball and you look at it on TV and go, why would you ever swing at that? Yeah. You get, you get at the plate and watch a 90 mile an hour ball come at you looking like it's going right over the plate. And then it, at the very end, it just moves on you. It, it ain't easy. So there's location and there's movement and then there's speed. You got the pitchers that just go out there and they'll throw 103 mile an hour pitch straight down the middle every time. Doesn't matter. It's so fast. They just come at you and say, good luck. 
if you can catch up to this, good luck. And they just, they blow batters out of the box because they just, they just pitch them a hundred miles an hour plus. Now the Cardinals have a pitcher named Adam Wainwright, who's 39 years old. I think he's the second oldest either pitcher or player, active player in the league right now, probably pitcher. And he didn't throw, he didn't throw the hundred mile an hour. He can't, he's not capable of throwing a hundred miles an hour. It, he's lucky if his fastball hits, hits 90. Most of his pitches are in the 80s or the 70s. But boy, does he have a curveball that just throws them over and over. And they know it's coming and they still can't hit it. Know your game. Know, know what your game is. Know what your limits are. Who are you trying to be? That's another good uh, thing that sometimes if I recognize it in my coaches, I'll say, why, why are you trying to be somebody else? Uh, be you. It's okay to aspire to be like somebody like, well, I want to learn to throw a curveball like Adam Wainwright or boy, I want to learn how to lead like, you know, Francis Hesselbein led the Girl Scouts or boy, I, I really want to be able to be one of these really innovative uh, people. It's great to aspire to be someone, but don't try to be that person. Um, that's when we go wrong. That's when we're not riding our ride. Um, you have a special gift. You have a, you have a, um, you have a special talent. You have your unique ability that what makes you valuable to your organization only you possess and only you bring to the table. What is that game for you? Never underestimate the power of you and your game. You playing your game, knowing your limits is far more winning and effective than pushing too hard to try to keep up with somebody else for the sake of keeping up with somebody else. Ride your ride. And that's really it. So those are, those are our two questions for the day. How are you managing your team's talent for winning? And can you recognize your limits? Are you riding your ride? Do you know your game? And that is the Jinx perspective for this week. I hope it's, uh, I hope you can relate to a little bit of it. Uh, pass it along, share it. Um, I'll only bring you sports analogies every once in a while. I promise. I know not everybody loves them. I think they're a great way. Uh, those kind of metaphors and analogies are a great way to observe some of the things we see inside of our organizations. So uh, listen, thanks for coming along and uh, we'll see you here next time. Uh, go develop your team. Go ride your ride. Lead on.